Awesome. Well, um, we are in part three of our series called Finding Jesus. And I want to start with a question today. Um, have you ever been invited to something and not gone and then found out later that you missed out? Or maybe like you were invited to something and you did go and you didn't have any high expectations. You were kind of like, ah, you know, I guess I'll go, you know, if I have to, whatever. And then like you got done or you showed up. And I mean, something happened that just blew your mind. Something happened that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that I showed up. I'm so glad I didn't miss that. I mean, I had no idea that John Stamos was going to be at that funeral. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I'm so glad I went. For me, so my, my recent example that I could give of this is in December, I found out that WrestleMania was coming to Dallas, Texas. And I, I grew up watching wrestling with my dad. It's just something me and my dad bonded over. We would go see wrestling. We would watch wrestling on TV. And so, you know, I got an email that tickets for WrestleMania were on sale, and my dad's from Dallas, Texas. I have family in Dallas, Texas. It's kind of always been on my bucket list. And it's my dad's 60th birthday next month. And so um, you're supposed to give He's going to listen to this. So you should like, yeah, 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 Pastor Ryan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah good. Yeah. yeah, we're glad he's still alive. Anyway, um... And, you know, so I thought, you know what? I mean, it's the 60th birthday. I never know what to get my dad. You know, this is like something we've bonded over. And I have family in Dallas, Texas. And I, my grandparents, his family lives in Dallas, Texas. And I, I haven't seen my grandparents in over three years with everything that's happened. And, you know, the last time they saw Braden, Braden was like two years old. So I'm like, you know what? This would be good to go. So, you know, I, I begged my wife. I twisted her arm. I bought her a ticket. And so we, 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 we went to WrestleMania. And as we got closer to the event, it, it became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you, you do not care about this at all. Okay, there'll be like five people that'll pop for this. But anyway, Stone Cold Steve Austin came back for one match. Okay, okay, so we do. Okay, so we're, we're on same ground, okay? So Stone Cold Steve Austin came back. Now, you're like, I don't care, okay? But 19 years, 19 years, and this man came back for one more match. And I was there, okay? So it became like this really big thing, you know? And then, you know, it was just so cool because Kate and my dad, we went to WrestleMania, and then my mom and my grandparents, they stayed with the kids, and my kids just bonded with my grandparents, you know? Which, you know, you never know what your kids are going to do with their great-grandparents, and they just bonded, and they popped for it, too. And so, like, we were coming back, and I just told Kate, I'm like, man, I'm like, I was just trying to get my dad a birthday present, but man, this turned into such a cool thing. I mean, we had to see Stone Cold Steve Austin and Cody Rhodes and, you know, this huge spectacle. And then, you know, I got to see my grandparents and our, my kids got to see, you know, our kids got to see my, my grandparents. That's so cool. And so, you know, I'm like, I look back on that. And I'm like, I'm so glad we did that. Like, that was worth everything right there, just, just to experience all that and to see all that. And that's what happens sometimes. And the thing is, the thing, and you know this, you never know what hangs in the balance of an invitation, Right? You never know. You never know what you might miss out if you don't go. And you never know what could happen just with one simple invitation. More on that later. But we are in part three of our series called Finding Jesus. And what we're talking about is, is how we know and why we follow. 
You know, there's a new term out there called deconstructing a faith, and, and I, I don't shy away from it. I think it's totally fine. I've deconstructed my faith, but it's, it's important to reconstruct your faith. And, you know, people are skeptics of, of Christianity and the church, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a skeptic myself. And, you know, one of the people's hang-ups is the Bible, you know, the Bible. And, you know, I've had people pull me aside and want to debate at a coffee shop if, you know, Noah really got two of every kind, you know, and, and into the boat and, you know, well, where do the dinosaurs fit in and how this and that? And I mean, that's, that's their hang-up. But, but here's the thing. Those are hang-ups, but really, and I, and I understand that, but, but those kind of questions, those are off-ramps to faith, you know? Th- those are things that definitely are going to get you to doubt that God exists, that, that Jesus is real. And, but the good news is, is that, you know, you don't have to... It, they have to, it doesn't everything, not everything falls on the Bible. It doesn't fall on the accuracy or the inerrancy of the Bible. The good news is that Christianity, it rises and falls on an individual, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what we sang today. You know, we didn't, we didn't sing about the flood today. I don't know if you didn't hear any songs about the flood, you know what I mean? You didn't hear any uh, songs about Egypt or any of that stuff because it's about Jesus, And so the thing is, the question we should be asking is not, is the Bible real or is God real? The questions we should ask ourselves is, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Because if any one, not even, it doesn't even have to be all of them, if any one of them are true events, actual events, things that really happened in the life of Jesus, well then game on, faith on, then we should lean in. Because if that's true, at the end of every single one of these accounts, an event takes place. And it's the event that is the foundation of our faith. It's an event where Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But even more importantly, because anybody can die sacrificially for somebody, more importantly, he predicted his own death and his own resurrection. And I'm telling you what, if you ever meet anybody that can predict their own death and resurrection, and three days later you're having breakfast with them at the beach, you should pay attention. That is worth leaning into. That is worth putting your faith in. That is worth at least keeping your hand on the door and investigating and trying to find Jesus. So that's what we're doing. And we're using the Gospel of Luke to do that. And if you've never read Luke's Gospel, Luke writes this letter. He's not writing the Bible. He's writing to Theophilus. He's writing an account of Jesus' life. And here's Luke's words himself. He says, I too have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And he says next to him, he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke's not sitting down with a, a group of people sitting at a, a Panera Bread going, guys, I think, I think what our religion really needs is a book, you know, with many chapters. If we all just each take a chapter, you know, and they're eating like a, you know, a cinnamon bagel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, Matthew, I'll take Matthew. That's not what's happening. He's writing a letter. He has no clue that he's writing the Bible. He's writing an account to Theophilus, but he's writing him an account for a specific reason. He's writing him so that he knew who he had put his faith in was real and who he had given his life to for was true. That's the reason. And it's, it's, it's the reason it, when that letter went to Theophilus, somebody got a hold of it and, and they copied it and they shared it and they circulated it and they memorized it. Because for anybody who read this, they thought, I've heard the rumors. I've heard the stories. I've heard the sermons. 
But oh my goodness, this, this gives credence. This gives, this gives grounded, factual stories and evidence that, that what I've put my faith in is real. And who I've given my life to, it's, it's all true. And so that's why it's, it's good for you. It's why it's what you should read as well. And then last week we talked about John the Baptist. We talked about John the Baptist, how he introduced a, a kind of newer version of faith, a, a new covenant version of faith. That was all about, it was, it was the do for others version. It wasn't about believing, it was about doing. And you're going to see that even today as well. That when Jesus came on the scene, it wasn't about believe in, it was about do something and put your faith in. Lean into there, 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 there needs to be some wheels on this. There needs to be some traction to this. So we're going to fast forward to chapter 4 of Luke. And, and this is where Jesus, this is what he did. He, he returns to Galilee in the, in the power of the, of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. So Jesus is, you know, he's been baptized and he, his ministry's starting and he's kind of yeah, getting kind of popular, right? And so this is what happens next. He starts teaching in the synagogues and and everyone praised him. Everyone liked Jesus. Or another way to put it is this. People who were nothing like him, liked him. Isn't that interesting? Right there, right? That'll, that'll preach in itself. People who were nothing like him, liked him. Isn't that the way Christianity should be? <laughs> I was uh, talking with some guys. We got, we got done working out on Friday, and I uh, was sitting with some guys, and we were talking about Chick-fil-A, because um, that's what CrossFitters do. We CrossFit, and then we eat Chick-fil-A. And they were like, man, that, that Chick-fil-A place. I just, you know, and the, one of my buddies, Patrick, he's a police officer. He, he goes, they're just so nice, you know? He goes, I just love eating there. They're just so nice. He goes, I don't know what it is. And I piped up, and I said, it's because they're Christian. You know, I just kind of like drop that there, you know, because that's how it should be, right? I mean, that's the way Chick-fil-A treats you is how every Christian should treat you. It's not always that case, though, is it? But that's how it was for Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene, when Jesus taught, people who were not even like him liked him. And as he's preaching at the synagogue and the temple, there's a certain person who's there listening. And that's where we get introduced to Simon Peter. He's Simon Peter the fisherman, Peter that wrote a letter in your New Testament as well too, Peter who you probably are familiar with if you've heard anything about Jesus because he becomes this, this rock that you know, Jesus says he's going to build his church or build his ecclesia on. And so what happens next is uh, Peter, he goes to the synagogue and you know, he gets his ticket to watch Jesus teach and he really likes them and Jesus comes up to him and goes, hey, you want to you wanna get brunch? And Peter goes, sure, let's go to my house. And so he goes home with Peter, and he meets Peter's wife. You may not have known that. Peter had a wife. And at, at his home, Peter's wife's mother lives with them. Peter lived with his mother-in-law. So for some of you, you're not alone, okay? Peter, Peter took in his mother-in-law as well. And so Peter lived with his mother-in-law, and when Jesus gets there for brunch, Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. She's very, very sick. And so, you know, they're, they're like, ah, you know, excuse us, Jesus. You know, we're so glad, you know, you're here as our guest, our mother-in-law. She's sick. Don't worry. We've locked her in her bedroom in the back, as most of you do with your mother-in-law. I've been to some of y'all's houses. I've been to some of y'all's houses, seriously. And you, you lock your father-in-laws and mother-in-laws in the, and I hear a sound. I'm like, is someone here? And they're like, yes, we've put them away with the cat in the back room. Okay. Um, they're allowed to come out and see me anyway. But so that's what happens. And so Jesus is like, well, let's, let's, let's fix this. And so Jesus 
goes and heals Peter, P- Peter's mother-in-law, which Peter was probably like, ah, Jesus, you know, it was almost empty nesters. Uh, anyway, uh, but Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so word starts to break out because as soon as, as, soon as she was healed, she you know, went, went to Target and got some Starbucks. And so everybody was like, hey, I thought you were sick. Like, hey, this guy came to my son-in-law's house and, and healed me. And so all of a sudden, that night, the Sabbath ended, and everyone rushed Peter's home and wanted to be healed by Jesus. This is what, how Luke says. He goes, at sunset, because the Sabbath was over when the sun set, people brought, were brought to Jesus who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. Pretty cool, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Why healing miracles? You ever wondered this? For those of you who have deconstructed your faith or been curious, why healing? Why do we see healing? Why do we, hey, here's a good question. Why do we see healing like that back then and we don't see it now? You ever had that question, right? What's the deal with all that? Well, well, the answer is this. See, Jesus, when he came, he, 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 he made this proclamation of who he was. He said, I'm, I'm the son of God. I'm God in human form. I am here and all authority has been given to me. I am, I am God, I, 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 I have the authority over heaven and on earth, and I am not just a man, I am God in human form, and I am God who has come down here near to you. And this is so important. Like I want you to, to write this down, take this away, tweet this out, whatever it may be, because we're about to break into some ground today that we're going to teach on for the next year, that it's going to be so important. I went to a whole conference, and this is what was talked about this week, and this is going to be so, so important. I want you to pay attention to this and remember this, because this is what we need to understand about Jesus, okay? The thrust of Jesus's ministry is not what Jesus taught. It is who he claimed to be, okay? It is not about what he taught. What he taught just makes him cool, The thrust of his ministry and what is most important is who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be God in human form. And he claimed to have the power to forgive people of their sins. Now, that's that's a big claim, okay? But here's the thing, too. Anybody can say that. Okay, I can look at you and I could say, my child, you're, you're, you're forgiven. You know what I mean? And I mean, what does that mean, right? I mean, it, I, I can make it as fancy as I want. I can do whatever I want. And I could just tell you, hey, you're forgiven. Great. So what? I, what does that mean? You know what I mean? But here's the thing. Back then, back then, people associated disease with sin. If you were sick, if there was a problem, they associated it with, with, with sin. And so, uh, you know, it was like a causality to it. And so here's the thing. Jesus walks in and he goes, you're forgiven. And they go, cool. You know what I mean? But then what happens is, is Jesus all of a sudden starts to heal people of sickness. Because they associated sickness with sin. And so when he says, you're forgiven, and let me show you, let me show you how powerful I am. Let me show you that I am the creator, that I am God in human form, that I do have all authority. Watch, you'll believe me now, I'll heal this sickness. And so he heals this sickness, and all of a sudden, it gives credence to that he really can forgive sins. It gives weight to that, right? 
So that's why. That's why we see these healing miracles, because Jesus is giving, giving weight to his claim to be able to forgive people of their sins. He goes, I'll show you. Bam. I'll heal you. Bam. So obviously, this is very, very exciting. Jesus is up all night healing people, you know, and then Jesus goes away to get rest. And then the next day, people show up and they're like, um, hey, where's Jesus? <laughs> We just found a guy who can heal people. This is kind of a big deal. We were maybe wondering if he could open his headquarters here in Galilee and, um, you know, maybe bring in some tourism or something. And so they're looking for Jesus, and they want Jesus to stay. They want Jesus to stay right there in their town and, and, and to not go anywhere. But Jesus says this. Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Let me, let me tell you something. He says, I must proclaim the good news. If the version, you, you know, you can go, if the version of Christianity you are part of is not good news, it may not be the original version. If when you hear that about Jesus and it, it doesn't sound like it's good for you, if it sounds like it's bad for you, it may not be the original version. Because Jesus says, I have come to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God, he's talking about, I've come to bring the good news of the authority of God, of the kingship of God. And that when you come into this kingdom ruled by this king, it is good for you. So Jesus goes away and he goes to the water. And this is what it says next. Luke tells us, he goes, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, the people were, were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, real quickly, sometimes we get hung up on this, listening to the word of God. Again, Jesus didn't have a Bible. There was no the Bible. Today, when we, in Christianity today, we associate the word of God with what? The Bible. But everywhere where it's written, where it says the word of God, what they're talking about is the spoken words of Jesus who claimed to be God, who claimed, claimed to have all authority on heaven and on earth. And so when he says he's, they, they were listening to the word of God, they weren't listening to Jesus share scripture verses, they were listening to Jesus talk. And so it's so important when we see that, that we understand that, that that's what it's talking about. So again, if your hang-up is the Bible and people are like, well, look what it says about the Word of God. It's right here. No, he's not talking about the Bible in the Bible where it says the Word of God. Where it says the Word of God, it's talking about the words of Jesus who claimed to be God. And so he's there. And he's, he's in this area of the Sea of Galilee, and people are crowding him. And he sees all of these fishermen over here. He sees all these boats. And, and this is what Luke tells us next. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. If you don't know anything about fishermen and fishing back in this time, what would happen is, is you would fish overnight because the water it was dark and it was cooler, and so it was, that was where the best fish were, were fished at. And so fishermen would come in at night, they'd take their boats out, they'd have these huge, huge nets, and they'd fish, you know, fish for fish. And then what they would do is, is, as the sun started to come up in the early morning, they would come back, and they would take their nets out of the boat, they would put them on these huge, huge drying racks. 
Okay? They put them on these huge, huge drying racks, had to make sure there were no tangles, no knots, or anything like that. They'd have to pick up all the stuff out of the, out of the net and stuff, clean it all out. This is a very tedious project. Women would usually come in and help with the cleaning up process and everything else because women are always more orderly than men. And so, you know, they'd make sure it was all done right and everything. And then they'd have to dry the racks. And then by then, these guys had worked a 13 to 15-hour shift, and then they would take a nap right there on the beach, okay? They'd cook some fish, eat, take a nap, and that was their work day. So these men have been out all night. They've been out all night, and they've come in. They've started the process. They've put their tools away. They've put the nets out on these racks. They're drying. They just got done cleaning them and stuff. And then Jesus looks over, and he sees all this, and who does he see? Peter. Peter, who he had just been spending some time with. Peter, Simon Peter, the lead fisherman who's in charge of all of these gentlemen. And then Luke tells us next, he goes, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Can you imagine this a little bit? <laughs> you know, the Bible's funny if you think about it, if you read it closely, okay? So Peter's, you know, working his crew and stuff. They put out all these nets, and he turns around, and, and basically Jesus is sitting in his car. And Jesus is there, and he's going, can you take this out here, please? And Peter's like, who is, who, what, what is he doing? Did he just steal my boat? You know, did he just hijack my car? Get out of my car, Jesus. What do you think you're doing? So Jesus just sits down in his boat and goes, out there, please, now. And so Peter's like, oh, man, this, this guy's crazy. I should have never bought this guy brunch. He saved my mother-in-law. I was almost home free. All right, anyway, uh, yeah, oh, okay, all right, so he sat down, and, and, and Jesus, or Peter takes the boat out. Jesus is sitting there, and Peter, Peter takes the boat out, and they go out. And again, there's a big crowd of people. They're right at the shore. And basically, Jesus just created an amphitheater, and the, Peter's boat is his stage. And so he puts it out there. Peter's got a front row. He, he's, you know, he's the media guy in the back, and Jesus teaches from Peter's boat to all of these people. Okay? And so he teaches. And then when he had finished speaking... He said to Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, you just hijacked my boat, Jesus. And then Jesus gets done and he goes, hey, let's, let's row out there. Let's go to the deep end. I tell you what, let's take those nets, those nets that you just have spent hours cleaning and drying and putting away. Let's get them back out and throw them out for a catch. What do you say? And he gives them, here, here's the thing, he, he gives them something doable, but completely unreasonable, right? Like, this is easy to do, easy to do, but it's very unreasonable. I mean, they have spent all night, you know, fishing, doing their job, they're very tired, They've taken out the nets. They've dried them. They've packed them all. Everything is done. Everything is done. And, and Peter, he's so nice. He's, so, he's, so, he's such a good guy. P Peter says, um, Master, which is a respective term. It's like saying sir. Master, sir, um, we have worked hard all night, and we didn't catch anything. This was like a polite way of saying, um, we fished when we were supposed to fish. We fished when you do the best fishing. You, you, you're, not, you're a carpenter. Um, you're not a fisherman. I am, though. And I'm telling you, this, this would not work. We've worked hard all night. We've already packed things away. This is very, very, very unreasonable. But then Peter says something. But. But. 
And then he says something that is, this is where your story and Peter's story collide. This is the takeaway for you today. Because what Peter says next changed the trajectory of his life. And it could do the same for you. He says, but because you say so. Because you say so. Because you say so. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Because you say so. I heard you at the synagogue. I heard you teach. You came, you came to my home. You healed my mother-in-law. You healed my whole town. I don't want to do this. This is silly. This is stupid. My crew's going to make fun of me. Everybody's still here watching. But because you say so. And let me tell you something. This is the point where some of you are at right now. There comes a point where you don't know what it is. There, there is this ought to inside of you. There is this turmoil inside of you. There is something that's not sitting right with you. And you're curious about Jesus. You're curious about faith. And so you come and you explore your faith or, you know, you tip your toe in the water and you kind of are introduced to Jesus. Maybe you come to Anchored Hope or maybe you go to another church or something. You're like, I kind of like Jesus. Yeah, I like this. I like the, I like the whole grace and love and forgiveness and, and all this stuff. And I, I, I kind of like this and everything else. And, and then what happens, though, in, in every single one of you, if you haven't gone through this yet, you will. Every single one of us come to the point where Jesus asks us to do something, not believe something, ask us to do something that is entirely doable but seems unreasonable. So unreasonable that we think, oh my goodness, if people find out I did this, they are going to give me such a hard time. I mean, if I do this, people are going to go like, what? You stopped doing it? You stopped doing that? You stopped... Why? Why? Why would you stop doing that? It's completely legal, or it's completely justified, or you could totally get away with that. You started doing what? How much of your money are you giving that church? You're, you're helping them for free? You're volunteering at what? Why would, why? Why would you do that? There's so many better things you could do with your weekend, I'm telling you. It, it's something so unreasonable, so crazy that people wouldn't understand. They may even give you a hard time about it. And you come to that point where, guess what? You have a decision to make. And Peter's answer is, because you say so. What's your answer? So Peter Peter put down the nets. Peter goes back, goes back on shore, and he goes, uh, guys, I know we've cleaned the nets, and I know it's been a hard night, and I know, you know, James, you were about to take a nap, and I'm so sorry. I know how much you love your naps. Um, but let's, uh, let's get the nets back on the boat, and let's go. But Peter, don't li- I, listen. Listen, this guy, this guy. I mean, I've seen him do things. I'm just saying, I just, I want to, I'm doing it. You know what they did? You know what they did? They acted on their curiosity. 
They acted on their curiosity with no guarantees of what was going to happen next. No guarantees, no promises at all, but something totally undoable, but just unreasonable. And so they did it, and they packed their boats, and they got in there. And when they had done so, such an important line that is so important that Luke wrote this, when they had done so, not when they had believed so, not when they had known what was going to happen, not when they had guarantees, but when they had put their faith, when they put their faith in Jesus, once they had acted on their suspicions, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, second question. Why the nature miracles? See, we're getting into some good ground here, right? Why the healing miracles? You know, why? Well, why the nature stuff? Because come on. None of this makes the Bible more believable, right? I mean, come on. Healing miracles. I mean, if I was writing a religion, okay, I wouldn't write it like a sci-fi novel, okay? That's not going to get people to, to, to follow me, okay? Why, why the healing miracles? Now, okay, why the nature miracles? That makes it even more unbelievable. But Luke, but Luke would tell you, well, the reason is because it happened is why it's in there. But again, back, back to what we said. The thrust of Jesus' ministry is not what he taught. It's who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be God on earth, to have all authority in heaven and on earth, to, to be God in human form, to be the king of kings. And so, again, when he does these healing miracles, he gives credence to that. He shows who he is. But then, why the nature miracles? Because it shows, again, that he is God. He can control creation because he is the creator. He can command fish to enter into so many fish to enter into a net that it overwhelms people. And so then all of a sudden what happens is these men look at these fish and their fish begin to break and they start to freak out because they go, what in the world? Better yet, who in the world is he? And they freak out and they become afraid. And then the next thing that happens is so important, so vital, not just to Peter's life, but to yours as well. Then, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is the next piece of the puzzle for us. Christianity, it rises and falls on Jesus. And the foundation of our faith is an event. But he, here's the thing that, that you, you need to hear and you need to understand for this next phase of your faith journey. Save, forgive, love is what he does. But king is who he is. Jesus is not your savior. Jesus is not your forgiver. Jesus is not your homeboy. He is your king. Those things he does, he saves, he forgives, he heals. 
but who he is is king. And Peter comes to this place where, again, remember at the beginning, he, was, he calls him master, sir. He's respectful. And that's how many of you, you walk into church, right? You're totally new to this thing. And you, and you listen, and you, and you learn, and you, and you take in. You're like, I like Jesus. Cool guy. I'm going to be respectful. When I'm in the sanctuary, I'm not going to curse today. Right? Here we go. All right? I'm respectful. I like this. Okay? I like, I like the grace. I like the forgiveness. I like the forgive me. But here's the thing. At some point, there is a second part in your faith journey. There is a second decision that you have to make where you don't go and a la carte Jesus and take and pick and choose what you like about Jesus. You don't take the, you don't take the words and the commands and the teachings of Jesus and, t- and you, you label which ones are black and white and which ones are gray. There's a point in time and a second decision where you make Jesus your king. Peter came to this point where he recognized who Jesus was and realized that who he claimed to be was true. And so, again, I'll show it to you again. He fell at his knees because he realized who he was in front of. He was in front of God. And he said, get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And Jesus' response was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know what they had realized in that moment? They had realized they had gone to the temple so many times to be near God. And what they had just missed is that God came near to them. And I don't know why you're here today or why you come to church or whatever else, but I I don't want you to get this backwards. You did not come here today to get near to God. God is just using anchored hope to come near to you. And there's nothing magical that happens in this room. When you get in your car, God is going with you. And when you go to work, God is going with you. And what you do in your alone time God is with you. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And he says to them, from now on, you will fish for people. See what Jesus did there? He's catchy. (laughs) He goes, you're a fisherman. But guess what, Peter? From now on, you will fish for people. You know what he did? He was giving him a new purpose. He was giving him a calling for his life. He was inviting him to be a part of something and to be a part of what God was doing on the earth. So, what do you think they did next? Let me ask you a question. What would you do next? So, they pulled up their boats along the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. If Peter were preaching today, if Peter were here today, this is what Peter would say. He'd say, that's what he did for me. He did a fish trick, and I was in. I mean, he gave us the most fish we've ever seen, and I was all in. And then Peter would say to you, but have you heard what he has done for you? 
Because what he did for you was so much better than a fish trick. I don't know if you know, but our God came down to earth in human form. And he suffered for you. And he died for you. And he died to sacrifice himself for your sins. But the best part is, is once he died, he was raised again three days later. That's what he's done for you. I think if Peter was wrapping up the sermon like I need to do, Peter would say to you, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Or, or is he your friend? Or is he just your Savior? And he said, thanks, Jesus, for the forgiveness. Are you in for it just for what he's promised you? Or have you recognized who he is? Have you recognized that he is king, that he is God in human form, that he is Lord? And here's the thing about kings. A king doesn't come behind our sin. A king leads us away from our sin. He's not a janitor. He doesn't come up behind us and clean up our mess. A king is someone you follow out of obedience. And a king is someone you put yourself under and you follow them. And when the king asks you to do something, even if it's unreasonable, you look at the king and you say, because you said so. When You can go back to that next one. When we follow, we follow not because of what he will do for us, we follow because of what he has already done. It's not about what you're going to get out of it. Although you're going to get a lot. Because following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. But it's not going to seem like that at first. It's going to seem unreasonable. It's going to seem crazy. You're going to be embarrassed to tell your friends about it. But when you do, when you recognize that He is Lord and what He has done for you, you'll do anything. And He'll ask you to do some crazy things. And the question is, is that when it comes to your life, when it comes to your decisions, when it comes to what you do, what you do with your sexuality, what you do with your body, what you do with your finances, what you do with your integrity, what you do at your job, what you do in your relationships, when it comes to all of that, I'm sure you can justify everything you decide to do. But at some point when you intersect with the King of Kings, he's gonna ask you to do something unreasonable something that doesn't make sense or doesn't agree with what you want to do with your sexuality, with what you want to do with your finances, with what you want to do with your integrity, with what you want to do with your job. He's going to ask you to do it, and it's going to be doable. But the question is, will you do it? Not with a promise or a guarantee of anything, but because he says so. 
that is the point where you have to make a decision of whether or not you are going to put your faith in him or not. But when you do, you accept the authority of the king. And let me tell you something. People, so there, there are people in this room who would tell you, I got that invitation from Jesus. I got that invitation. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I had no clue what I was getting into, but now that it's been some time, now that it's been five years, it's been 10 years, it's been 20 years, I look back and I think, my goodness, if I hadn't taken that decision, if I hadn't accepted that invitation, I would have missed out. I look back at my life. I did not want to be a pastor. My dad's a pastor. If you ever get raised up as a pastor's kid, you won't want to be a pastor. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you won't. I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be a chiropractor. I wanted to be a, a physical therapist. Why are you a pastor? People ask me, I go, because he said so. I was in Nebraska. Eleven years ago, I was in Nebraska. Had a good life. Was going to take over this big old church when this lead senior pastor retired. Kate had a finally found where she wanted to do with her career, had a fantastic job, had just gotten a promotion, and then God tells me he wants me to go plant a church. And we're sitting in a car and we're literally talking. Kate is just sharing how good life is. She's so excited. She's so happy. Things are so good. And I just look at her and I go, I think God wants us to leave and plant a church. Why would we have done that? Because he said so. And I was 24 years old. I had no clue what I was doing. And now I look back as we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary. And I look back as we're about to plant a second campus in Wright City. If I hadn't taken that invitation, if I hadn't done what God was calling me to do, even though I had no guarantees, I had no clue what I was doing, if I hadn't done that, I have no clue where I would be today. No clue where my marriage would be. No clue about my little girl. My little boy. My daughter, this whole series. Today she runs up to my office. She said, Daddy, I'm not uh, I'm not gonna go to children's church. I wanna come in and I wanna I wanna learn about Peter.
I don't know if that would have happened in Nebraska. I'm so glad that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I want you to be where you're supposed to be. And I can't convince you that it's a good idea. I can't promise you anything. I just can tell you how good it is. And I can tell you how good He is. And you just have to do it because He says so. But if you will, let me tell you, it's so good. It's too good to not believe because of the things I've seen the last 10 years. I don't think I would have seen them anywhere else. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, here. Father God, you have been too good to me. I don't deserve any of this. None of us do. It hadn't been easy, it's been rough, it's been hard, but we have continually done what you have asked us to do, purely just because you told us to. And I am so thankful, so thankful that you have never let me down. And I don't believe you ever will. Would you help others in this room put their faith in you? And would you help them When you invite them, when you give them that invitation, would you give them the courage to do it? Even though it's unreasonable, even though it's crazy, would you you give them the strength and the wisdom and the clarity that they need? In your name we pray.